I think we can do better than that, can't we? <laughs> I meant myself. So, well, the last time I was wearing one of these headset things um, was actually at Shrewsbury Food Festival, and I was talking to people about cooking fish and how to dress crabs and, and that sort of thing. So it's a little bit different today. I'm going to be talking about Jesus and fish. So it's, uh, I've got this talk, and it's just, what would you give a Christian fishmonger to talk about? And I've got it, so uh, it's going to be good. <laughs> um, yeah, I don't think I need to, Terry's just introduced me, so I'll just say that... Um, there have been two sort of turning points in my life, and one of the main turning points was I was working in the fishmongers in Shrewsbury, and the boss was selling it, and one of the customers, in those days, you know, I used to go to the pub every night, and I had that kind of life, and one of my customers actually showed a bit of faith in me um, and said they would lend me £15,000 to buy the business. So that was one of the turning points in my life. The second turning point was, as Terry mentioned, on Alpha, when um, I'd desperately been seeking in life that there must be more. You know? And I went on this Alpha course, and I found that there was more to life. I found that there was Jesus, and I ended up giving my life to him. And my life has, like Terry said, it's been transformed ever since. Very quickly, I met my wife, Jen. Um, We, because we were getting on a bit, we um, had three kids quite quickly, and they're all amazing. Um, So, yeah, life is very different for me now. Um, So two of the loves of my life are Jesus and fishing. And as I've been preparing this talk, I've really tried to get into the mind of the fisherman, so we're coming from that angle, and hopefully you'll get where I'm coming from. I, I've been imagining myself sort of walking along the shores of Galilee, you know, casting a net in there, um, witnessing Jesus performing miracles, prophesying and teaching. And I've imagined myself going out in one of these large wooden boats that they have on Galilee that they used to fish in with all the creaking going on, and I've really tried to get into that sort of, of role. Um, it really is, I think, my idea of heaven, uh, being around there. And one day I am going, I promise, I am going to Galilee and I'm going to catch a fish and I'm going to pray on the shores of this famous lake. In fact, I'm going to pray about that now. Father, I pray that one day I get the opportunity to pray on the shores of that lake and catch a fish. In Jesus' name, amen. See, I know my father hears my voice, and I know that you're going to hear my voice today, but what I want you to do is listen out for another voice, and that's the voice of Jesus, because I believe he's going to be speaking to people on a number of different levels. He's going to be calling different people today. This is a powerful message, so I want you to keep your hearts really open today and your ears attentive. Our story focuses on four fishermen. And they are Simon, Peter, his brother Andrew, and their partners in another boat, James and John. They were part of a thriving fishing industry, and they would have had men working for them as well. So this was quite a big thing in Galilee, the fishing industry. And it would have been a family business. There would have been all sorts of people involved in it. And they were based in Capernaum, which was the main town of the region there. The Sea of Galilee... Um, you can see up on the map. The Sea of Galilee, which it has a lot of different names used in the Bible. 
um, such as the Sea of Tiberias, which is another town there, um, the Sea of Chinneroth, or Lake Gennesaret, as Luke calls it in the text that we're studying today. It's not actually a sea, um, but it's a freshwater lake. And in fact, it is the largest body of freshwater in Israel. I'm just going to give you a bit of information now. It lies 700 feet below sea level, which makes it the world's lowest freshwater lake. The only other lake lower is the Dead Sea, which is salty. And that, incidentally, the Dead Sea is the lowest point on the Earth's surface. Around 30 fishing towns surrounded this lake in Jesus' time, and Capernaum was the largest. There are about 20 species of fish. <laughs> I'm settling in now, okay. <laughs> Living in the lake, and uh, it's likely that it's this fish that would have been caught in the miraculous catch. This fish is a black tilapia, locally known as a mushed, which sounds like something you'd say to a husky pulling a sledge, but it's called a mushed, mushed. And commonly, St. Peter's fish. Not to be confused with the John Dory, this fish, which is also called St. Peter's fish, but is a sea fish, so it's not possible that could have been caught in Galilee. Incidentally, the tilapia was also likely to be the fish in the um, account of the fish with the gold coin in its mouth. The tilapia is a mouth brooder, which means that when it has its young, if danger comes along, it sucks them all back into its mouth and holds them there. And this fish has been known to pick up pebbles and bottle tops from the seabed, uh, the lake bed in Galilee. So it's very likely that, that you know, it was that fish that picked up that gold coin. So, the story of the miraculous catch is more than just an account of a great catch of fish. And by the end of this story, it's not just the fish, but the fishermen who are caught, to the point where they leave everything and they follow Jesus. So we're going to read our text, and you might want to follow in the Bible, but it will come up. It's up on the screen. Entitled, Jesus Calls His First Disciples. One day, as Jesus was standing by the lake of Gennesaret, the people were crowding around him and listening to the word of God. He saw at the water's edge two boats left there by the fishermen who were washing their nets. He got into one of the boats, the one belonging to Simon, and asked him to put out a little from shore. Then he sat down and taught the people from the boat. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. And when they'd done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full that they began to sink. When Simon Peter saw this, he fell at Jesus' knees and said, Go away from me, Lord. I'm a sinful man. For he and all his companions were astonished at the catch of fish they'd taken. And so were James and John, the sons of Zebedee, Simon's partners. 
Then Jesus said to Simon, don't be afraid. From now on, you will fish for people. So they pulled their boats up on the shore, left everything and followed him. So I think we're going to get a bit of background to this miracle now. There's, as I've been studying this, there are two scriptures which seem to be parallel accounts to that of Luke 5 and are often taught as such. There is, however, an alternative theory that these are separate incidents. And the scriptures are Matthew 4, 18 to 22, and Mark 1, 16 to 20. And they say, they both say that the fishermen were casting their nets into the lake and then Jesus said, come and follow me separately. They, he went to Peter and Andrew first, and then James and John. But I've, as a fisherman, I've looked at this, and I think because the differences between the two accounts are so different in what they say, I, won, I was wondering as a fisherman if they were the description of the same event or not. And in fact, it may be that there's a number of callings of the disciples and several stages of commitment reflected in the Gospels. And certainly the events early in John's gospel indicate a number of encounters and callings and followings of Jesus to the events in Luke 15. I guess the family business may have carried on with the help of hired help um, in the absence of the disciples as they went off with Jesus. And it's clear that Peter goes back to a boat in John 21 when Jesus appears on the shore after his resurrection and a second miraculous catch is taken, which we'll talk about in a bit. But the setting of this miracle, let's just set the scene for this miracle. We've got the text up. Jesus was standing by the Sea of Galilee, which Luke calls the Lake of Gennesaret. And around him, a large crowd had gathered, listening to him preach. Beyond Jesus was the Sea of Galilee, and two fishing boats were pulled up on the shore. One belonged to Peter, and the other to James and John, who were partners in the fishing business along with Andrew. These four fishermen were not among the crowd. Instead, they were off washing their nets. They'd spent a long and fruitless night fishing. And as Jesus preached, these four disciples were strangely detached from the one they called master. They no doubt, I guess, looked on with interest as they worked, but work they did. They were washing nets, and you might think that's, you know, it's not that important, but washing nets was a really important job. The fishermen on the Sea of Galilee used bell-shaped nets um, with lead weights around the edges, and they would throw them flat on the surface of the lake, and the weights would cause the net to go down around the fish. And then they'd pull a cord and the fish would be caught and they'd pull them out. But these nets had to be kept in really good condition. They needed to remove the weeds, they needed to wash them, and they needed to dry them. So they'd be hung up to dry, possibly on the boat. And although I believe that Jesus turned up unannounced to the disciples that morning, I believe that he intended to be there. I believe he knew where the disciples would be, and he had a plan. And I think it's no accident, actually, that the boat he stepped into and from which he taught was Peter's. What Jesus appears to do when he steps into the boat is to provide a way to make his speaking more effective. 
as well as provide a means of escaping the crowds because they were pressing in and that's one way Jesus used to escape. Um, as I've looked at this, along, apparently along the lakeshore close to Capernaum, there is a sequence of steep inlets, zigzagging shoreline, um, with each inlet forming like a natural amphitheater. So speaking from the water would have amplified Jesus' voice. And um, in fact, tourists can go there today and you can experience getting in a boat and you would have, more people would have heard Jesus from the water than actually they would have heard him from the shore. And I believe that day that Jesus was seeking the disciples. It was time for them to become permanently attached to him, accompanying him wherever they went. A time had come for a deeper level of commitment. And the appearance at the lake that day was for the purpose of bringing about a life-changing decision on the part of Peter and the others. Jesus would use the boat as a pulpit, but he was intent on making fishermen fishers of men. So, to the great catch. When he'd finished speaking, he said to Simon, put out into deep water and let down the nets for a catch. Simon answered, Master, we've worked hard all night and I haven't caught anything. But because you say so, I will let down the nets. When they had done so, they caught such a large number of fish that their nets began to break. So they signaled their partners in the other boat to come and help them. And they came and filled both boats so full they began to sink. So I imagined the scene went like this. The disciples had finished washing their nets, and they would have hung them out on the boat to dry. Jesus had likewise finished his teaching and tells Peter to go to deeper water and let down the nets for a catch. Put out into deeper water and let down your nets for a catch. It wasn't a suggestion. Notice it was a command. And he didn't order the disciples to let down their nets to try to catch fish. He ordered them to put out their nets for a catch of fish. In other words, there was a command and there was a promise. Now, I know from being a fisherman that there's no guarantees when you go fishing. Okay. But then I've never been fishing with Jesus. I've been with Dave, but <laughs> it's not quite the same. <laughs> I love this next bit. Try, just try to understand how, how Peter feels. Okay? He's worked all night. He's tired. He's failed. Nighttime was incidentally the best time for fishing. That's when they went out. Obviously, it probably didn't spook the fish as much. If you throw in a net on the water in broad daylight, the fish would just be gone. So they used to fish at night, um, and they were back. And now it was the brightness of day. And he would be thinking of a list of excuses not to put those nets back in. He was absolutely exhausted. He was demoralized. And he'd be thinking, you know, Jesus has come along. He's a carpenter. I'm the expert fisherman, and he's telling me what to do. I've just taken ages washing the nets, and now he's asking me to throw them back in the lake. All that activity, you know, standing in a boat, banging up and down, shockwaves through the water, scaring all the fish away. You know, there won't be any fish there. But I believe Peter would have been tired. He would have been reticent and irritable. 
at being told how to do his job in very poor circumstances. Is anyone here relating to that? I mean, how would we feel? <laughs> but he says, Master, we worked hard all night and caught nothing. But at your bidding, I will let down the nets. You see, Peter didn't make those excuses. And his faith in Jesus was well rewarded. I wonder, though, if there was part of him that wanted it to fail, just so that he could give Jesus that, told you so, look, you know, he's not going to get many chances to do that, is he? So this was his big moment. But the only reason Peter did what Jesus asked was because he believed in him. Not because the circumstances seemed right, because they weren't. They were far from right. Fishing on that lake, the circumstances couldn't have been any worse. So how are we doing at obeying Jesus when it looks against the odds? The command, the promise, the faith, the obedience, and the result, a miracle. It couldn't have been anything else. They drop the net on a huge shoal of fish that Jesus knows is there, or does he? I don't, I don't know that one because a miracle is a miracle, isn't it? It's, uh, how Jesus does that is miraculous. So these days, sea fishermen have devices called fish finders. Okay, you, can, you can put one on your boat. It goes in the, just in the water, and it will tell you when you're over fish. It will tell you how many fish are there. It will tell you how big they are. And it's like Jesus has got one of those built in. He just knows they're there. And the thing is, it was probably the biggest catch that that lake had ever seen. And I don't know if you know what fishermen are like, but um, stories don't half travel fast, you know. It was this big. (laughs) It was that big. And uh, you probably heard Dave, actually. And... (laughs) They're great at swapping stories. I think that would have been the talk of Galilee amongst the fishermen anyway. I mean, the nets were full to breaking. Peter had to shout his partners, James and John, to bring their boat to help. The catch was so large that both boats began to sink. I mean, the catch of a lifetime had been made. And I was thinking as well, how graceful of Jesus. He's calling these fishermen away from their careers and he leaves them at the pinnacle of their career. How graceful is that? It's just something that just shines through that Jesus provided them a way of like stepping down at the top of their game. Now, though, it was time for Jesus to make the catch that he really came for. And the catch to this story was the real purpose of this miracle. Peter immediately responds by falling down at the feet of Jesus. We've had a prophetic word about falling at Jesus' feet today. And he says, Depart from me, for I'm a sinful man, O Lord. That's in Luke 5.8. Falling to the feet of Jesus was an act of humility and worship. Peter had been ministered to in an area of his own expertise. Ouch. He now saw Jesus in an entirely different light. Jesus was Lord, and he was a sinful man. The miracle was so personal to Peter that it dramatically changed his perspective of Jesus' greatness and power. Notice in verse 5 that 
Jesus is Peter's master, but by verse 8, he's his Lord. Peter not only confessed the greatness and perhaps the holiness of Jesus, but also his own sinfulness. Perhaps he saw his reticence and resistance to let down those nets. It appears that he did it really quickly, but there may have been something in his heart that said, look, you know, I don't want to do this because I don't think it's going to work. So maybe he saw that as sin. And Peter thought he was the expert and doubted in his heart that they would catch. He feared his efforts would be wasted. Now he saw his Lord's sovereignty and his sin. And sin isn't just stealing or hurting someone. It's pride, it's fear, it's disobedience, doubt and resistance. And I I find it interesting that Peter says, depart from me. When he recognizes his sin, he could easily have gone away from Jesus himself. It's just a strange thing to say, depart from me. But it was his love for Jesus and his growing awe for Jesus that stopped him doing so. It was like Peter was a moth and Jesus was this flame. He was just drawn to him. And if his sin were to drive a wedge between him and his Lord, it would have to be Jesus that left and not him. I think, though, if Peter had known what lay ahead for him, he might have changed his mind on that one. So how many of us let our own sin come between us and Jesus? How many of us depart from him out of guilt and shame instead of drawing closer through confession and repentance out of our love for him? Jesus' response to Peter is amazing. He says, do not fear. From now on, you'll be catching men. It's like, no worries, Peter. Come with me. It's all in hand. All will be revealed. Just trust me. So I wonder what Peter's fears were. You know, maybe leaving his job. He was leaving his career. Starting a new career. Leaving his responsibilities at home whether his family would have been provided for. These are all very practical matters, and they would have been a matter of great concern for Peter. But the miracle with the fish demonstrated that Jesus was not only a teacher, a prophet, and a miracle worker, but he was also a great provider. And that demonstrated that to Peter and the others. Also, I think Peter didn't know that he could, how he could enter into an even more intimate relationship with Jesus, knowing the enormity of his sin. He was afraid of Jesus in the sense of holding him in such great awe. Jesus just answers him by saying, do not be afraid. And God wants to relate to us on a principle of love, not on a principle of cowering fear. And later Peter will realize that Jesus' provision for his sin and ours is even more abundant than his provision of fish. And that provision will be made on the cross at Calvary for all mankind, for Peter, for me, and for you, where he died in our place. If you're here today and you've never heard the real message of Christianity and the reason that Jesus died and rose from the grave, then we'd love to talk to you after the service and shed some light on that for you. It's interesting as well that 
after Jesus is crucified, Peter goes back to fishing. Peter had disowned Jesus three times before his crucifixion, and he would have been feeling pretty worthless after that denial. Jesus has already appeared to the disciples after his resurrection, but Peter turns back to fishing as a way of filling the void. In John 21, 3 to 6, I love the way he says this. I can imagine me doing it. He says, I'm going out to fish. And they said, we'll go with you. So the disciples went, and they went out, and they got into the boat, but that night they caught nothing again. Early in the morning, Jesus stood on the shore, but the disciples did not realize that it was Jesus. He calls out to them, friends, haven't you any fish? No, they answered. He said, throw your net on the right side of the boat and you'll find some. When they did, they were unable to haul the net in because of the large number of fish. I'm going out to fish. During the following scene, Jesus leads Peter through an experience that would remove the cloud of his denial. Peter had disowned Jesus three times. Three times Jesus asked Peter if he loves him. I can't normally say that, but it always gets me. And when Peter answers yes, Jesus also tells him, feed my sheep. It's one thing to say we love Jesus, but are we willing to serve him? Can our actions back up what we're saying? Peter had repented, and here Jesus was asking him to commit his life. Peter's life changed when he finally realized who Jesus was. His occupation changed from a fisherman to an evangelist. His identity changed from impetuous to rock. And his relationship with Jesus changed. He was forgiven. And he finally understood the significance of Jesus' words about his death and resurrection. After he ascended into heaven, Jesus sent his Holy Spirit to be present with all his believers. So while we may have to leave our homes or employment to obey his leading and to proclaim the gospel, we don't need to leave them in order for him to be in us and with us. We don't need to leave our occupations to be with Jesus, but we can bring him to a fallen world by living and witnessing for Christ in and through our workplaces. And it's interesting that the two miraculous catches of fish came after two nights of fruitless toil for these fishermen using their conventional methods. Then Jesus comes along using totally unconventional methods like cast your net on the other side. I mean, if they weren't caught on this side, they're not going to be caught on this side. That's not how it works. But Jesus' unconventional methods, I mean, it made a difference. And that scripture, cast your net on the other side, I've got a little testimony to share from a few years back when Jesus spoke to me four times in one day, said, cast your net on the other side. There was a, I've been reading scripture and I'd seen it. I heard someone say it. And a third time, I read it somewhere else. And then this fourth time, I was watching Robson Green fishing adventures or something like that. And uh, I've never, ever seen this before. Robson Green was stood in the middle of a salmon river with a vicar. And uh, I just turned it on, and it was, it was this scene. And I'd heard three times that day, cashing out on the other side. And 
um, he was interviewing this vicar in the middle and saying, what do you do when you catch no fish? And he says, oh, I always turn to this scripture. Cast your net on the other side and you'll catch more fish. And I was like, okay, I think God might be saying something to me. But I didn't know what that was. So uh, probably a year later, in the market hall, I've got a fishmonger's. And there was a guy in there. It wasn't like it is now. It just had like food stalls like butchers and fruit and veg and fish. It didn't have any eateries apart from one cafe upstairs. And there was a guy who came in selling um, champagne by the glass, and uh, he, was, he was selling oysters from me. And it didn't really work for him. He, I think he was a bit before his time. Um, and he was selling a fridge, so he was moving out, and he said, do you want to buy a fridge? And I, it just happened. This just happened. And there was a stall in front of the gangway in front of me. There's our shop and there's a stall there, just one unit. And I thought, yeah, we could sell champagne and crab sandwiches. And literally, it just happened and it was there. I didn't have to do, it was no effort. It was like God breathed on this thing and it just took off. And then people started coming in the market from other food places saying, oh, do you think this would work in here? And very quickly now in our market, we've got an amazing seafood cafe and uh, we've next door to me is Chinese dumplings the other side is Thai street food further down we've got Spanish tapas we've got an amazing cafe called the bird's nest we've got Indian street food and you know what God did that they they probably don't know but God did that he breathed on that he said cast your net on the other side and I finally realized when it when he breathed on it what he was saying to me so it's like you don't always know what God's saying to you, but when you're obedient and it starts happening, you do know. And I just find that really amazing. So, I'm going to start applying this scripture now. Let's see what it means. Let's see how it can apply to our lives. It's a life changing decision following Jesus. I believe that Jesus purposed to be at the lake that day to bring about a life-changing decision on the part of the disciples. Are you here today for a reason? Maybe to hear that message? Are you ready to make a life-changing decision? Jesus says to you, follow me. Number two is a deeper relationship. Do you need him? Have you ever contemplated your own failures in life? For me, before I knew knew Jesus, I failed at relationships. I found it really hard to love the people that I should and like they wanted me to show love to them. So I failed in most of the relations, all the relationships I had, even my family ones, I failed. But Jesus taught me how. He taught me how to love people. And Peter had had a long night of frustrating fishing failure. One area in which he would have felt confident and capable, he failed. And that would have hurt. But then there came a morning of unparalleled success. And Peter saw the greatness and the goodness of Jesus. He saw him as Lord. And for some here, there is a revelation of the holiness of Jesus as your Lord today, not just your master a master you believe in or you follow, the Lord you give your life to. Number three is obeying Jesus. P- 
Peter thought of himself as an expert at fishing, yet he caught nothing. Jesus came along and went against all the principles of fishing Peter knew, yet brought great success. I wonder if there are people here today who failed in the past with conventional methods, and Jesus is saying, follow me. But you're making excuses like, that won't work, or that's impossible. How many harvests do we miss because we make excuses instead of responding to what Jesus says? Jesus is unconventional, okay? And Peter was instantly blessed when Jesus directed his work. Maybe we should lay down our proven methods and seek Jesus's radical and unconventional ones. But to do that, we need to be open and we need to be humble. Our last one is drawing near. Is there a wedge between you and Jesus? When you sin, do you let guilt and shame overcome you and make you ineffective? Peter says when awe of Jesus, go away from me. He was in awe of Jesus for what he'd done. And instead of running when his sin was exposed, he drew near because of his love for him. Jesus doesn't want us to turn away when we sin. He wants us to draw near to confess and repent, receive forgiveness and grace and love. If we really love Jesus like Peter, we will be drawn to him. Could we have the worship band back? We're going to respond now. If any of that has spoken to you, um, let's respond in our hearts to Jesus, okay? And there may be a physical response that we need to make later as well. So, I'll pray. While they start, I'll, I'll pray for us. God gave me the phrase this morning that there may be people that are going to go from hopelessness today to holiness. From hopelessness to holiness. Maybe there's a situation where in your life that you just can't, you just can't seem to get rid of. You just can't get through. Well, today there's, as you turn to Jesus, you turn to his holiness, as you turn away, that hopeless situation can be made new. There's people who maybe need a deeper relationship with God. You know him as Savior, you know him as Master. Do you know him as Lord? Have you laid everything down at the feet of Jesus? Today you'll get an opportunity. I also sense that there are some people maybe feeling really uncomfortable. I've been there. And when the spotlight's on us, when the spotlight's on the things that we maybe do that we shouldn't, then it is uncomfortable. It's because the, the light's shining, the light has to come in the darkness 
to get rid of the darkness. So if you're feeling uncomfortable today, just come to Jesus and he'll give you his peace. Also, I felt there may be people in turmoil today. Like your life has been in turmoil and that Jesus wanted to bring his perspective and bring his peace. And there are people who you're in your job and you're striving, really striving under your own efforts and it's not going well. I say to you today, let Jesus in. Let him into your work. Let him bring peace. And I felt there was a mother here today that's been really struggling with their relationship with their daughter. I wonder if you would respond. So we're going to worship now and then I think Terry or Helen will come and and close. Let's stand together. We bow down and confess. We bow.